Thanks for listening to another leadership podcast from Pastor Jurgen and the team here at C3 San Diego. To find out more about our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Podcast land, get ready. I want you to buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. Get out your pad, pen, paper. I've asked these guys to share with us Uh, And listen, all of them have churches that are flourishing and are fruitful and are expanding. All of them have built exceptional teams. All of them have been able to cultivate a high-level buy-in from volunteers. So I've just basically left it open. I just said, hey, just share one gold nugget of leadership that they can impart to us. So, uh, you know, in the words of uh, In Excess, Michael Hutchins, I want us today to be listening like thieves. I want you to steal something today. I want you to take something today that you can apply to your life. So who wants to go first? Do we have any volunteers? (laughs) Jeff Kane. Jeff Kane's got to go first. Come on, Jeff. Just so that Phil can say... Awesome. Hey, yeah, thank you, Jurgen. I appreciate the opportunity here and uh, love C3 San Diego. You guys are the best. You know, when I, uh, when I first got to C3 and said I wanted to plant a church, I said, I either want to plant in, uh, in San Diego or Alpharetta. And man, you guys, you guys picked the right spot. San Diego is the jam. So well, we're staying over a couple of days to do that. But hey, uh, yeah, over the last year, one of the things I've really um, learned about leadership is uh, communication is vital. And we talk a lot of times about clear communication and effective communication, and those are both great. But volume of communication is really important. You know, we we take for granted that people understand who they're called to be. And I believe that the Bible actually teaches something completely the opposite of that. And if we're their leaders, and I hear this all the time, if we're their leaders, instead of realizing what may be, where maybe they're falling short, it's our responsibility as their leaders to remind them of who they're called to be. And you know, it's not just that, it's not just that people's intention is to fall away. We see right. in the desert that when Moses leaves his people immediately, immediately, you know, it's because of fear, but it doesn't matter the reason. Immediately they turn from their God-given calling and they go back to their old ways. They go back, listen, they go back to their own identity, who they've always thought that they were. And we go, well, yeah, we're not in that. That's an Old Testament teaching. We're in the New Testament. Jesus died on the cross. He's raised from the dead. And now we're in a new place. But when we look at Peter, we see what happens to Peter is Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan's asked that, I, that, I, that he sifts each one of you and I've prayed for you. And Peter's like, what are you talking about? I'm the man. Like, I've got it all together. I'm not going to fall. But immediately the next day we see Jesus being tortured in the courtyard and Peter denying him. Jesus turns and looks and Peter at that moment realizes that he's fallen so short of being able to accomplish what God's calling him to on his own. And you'd think, man, in that moment, like that's, that's unbelievable. He's got this realization, I can't do it. And he runs back to Jesus. He runs back to the foot of the cross and he, and he receives forgiveness and he's restored completely to his place. You think, man, that's, that's fantastic. Like, yeah, he, he discovered his identity. But then, then it says, just a few days later, after Jesus had appeared to them, just a few days later, Simon Peter says, hey, let's go fishing. Jesus never said, hey, Peter, after I'm gone, after I'm raised from the dead, you know what you ought to do? You ought to go fishing. <laughs> but Peter goes fishing because he just doesn't know what else to do. 
His identity is wrapped up not in who God's calling him to be, but when there's a silence, when there's a gap in communication, wow. he by definition so falls good, back yeah. to so who he thinks he's called to be. You know, just one more quick example. You see the rich, you see the rich young ruler, who we can call Bob, or Steve, or Jack, or or Simon. We can call him whatever we want to, but the Bible doesn't call him any of those things because his identity isn't tied up in any of those things. His identity is tied up in the fact that he's wow. rich, wow. young, and he's a ruler. And yeah. Jesus says, "Hey, if you'll give up anything, flick wow. the rich, and you'll yeah. follow me. Flick the ruler, then you'll have treasures in heaven. Then all of your dreams will be fulfilled." And he says, "Man, I really want this." but I can't shift my identity. Uh We've got to, when you give people a gap, listen, when you give people a gap, they're going to fall back into who they believe they were created to be. And we've got to, instead of allowing gaps in our communicating to our people who they're called to be, we've got to fill that gap, yes, with clear, yes, with effective, but with consistent communication. And I'll finish, I'll finish with this. When you leave those gaps, just be aware. Look, actually, two things. Just be aware. You're the leader. And as the leader, you've taken responsibility for the calling that God's placed on their life. So it's not like, hey, they're just not living up to the expectation. No, no, no. You're the leader. If they're not living up to the expectation, it's your problem. Right? Don't judge yourself, but take up that mantle upon yourself and say, I need to lead them back into the calling that God's... When we lose one sheep, we leave the 99 and get out there and go after the one that's fallen away. When people have a gap in communication, they're going to fill it. They're going to fill it. With all their misunderstandings, yeah. with all their miscon- so misconceptions, yeah. with all their insecurities about who God's calling them to be. And it's our job as leaders to consistently just think, think clarity, think effectiveness, but don't forget, don't forget, don't forget consistent communication. One week, too long. One month, gosh, too long. Most employers, once a year, they get an so too long, I don't want to wait a year until someone speaks into my life and takes me farther in God. Speak to me today. Reach out to me today. Take a hold of me today because God's got a calling on my life. I know he's got a calling on yours, and I know he's got a calling on the people you're leading. Come on, how good is that? What a great gold nugget. I love that you dropped the mic. That was so good. Uh, and that's why the prophetic, that's why if, if you're out there in, uh, in the podcast land and... Uh, You've shied away, moved back from the gifts of the Spirit, and uh, you're not prophesying. I've got to tell you, that's what, what, uh, what Pastor Jeff was talking about really is the prophetic. The prophetic is calling people forward into who they're called to be rather than allowing them to, to default. And all of us do have that default to go back to our old ways because it's comfortable, it's familiar, there's security there. Stepping into the new and the unknown is always stepping into the insecure, but we always do that on the Word of God. And so if you're, if you're a leader of people, I think that, uh, you know, you can take that as a, as a uh, challenge today. Make sure that you're encouraging, that you're prophesying over your people. Fantastic. Are we going to go around or do you want to go next? Because you got, is it, you want to go next? Would you put your hands together, Phil Beekler, Long Island. All right. Hey, such a pleasure to be with you. Uh, what great pastors, Jurgen and Leanne, uh, and an amazing staff. Um, and I see their spirit, that God has placed in their spirit, in your spirit. 
Uh, I feel like when I'm in this room, this room is full of people that are actually relating and believing uh, to God the way that, and that's that, that principle of imitation. Uh, Jeff and I uh, teased one another last night that we we're going to piggyback and he was going to steal my stuff. He didn't. But I just want to say that we find our identity in the one who created us. So many, of us, uh, so many of us are trying to find out who we are on our own instead of looking to the one who made us. And as you draw close to him rather than to self-actualization, you'll find out who you are. And uh, so it's the rich young ruler, Jesus, who came to a rich young ruler to teach him how to be a rich young ruler. But he couldn't buy into that. Okay, so I'm just going to piggyback on that a little bit. Um, uh, now... Um, when Denise and I went to Long Island, which is, by the way, uh, a heritage uh, legacy church here in North America, Mark and Bernie Kelsey, Josh's mom and dad, uh, Josh with them, planted this great church. It's the first church in the United States. But when we arrived uh, about nine years ago, uh, unfortunately, it had gone down quite a bit, uh, not because of the Kelsey's leadership, but th there's other leadership that was there. Unfortunately, they had bought a, the wrong building in the wrong location, a building they could not afford. Uh, there are $120,000 of debt. There is credit cards maxed out, $20,000 each. They're losing three to $5,000 a month month, uh, morale and people going down like crazy, uh, we were actually sent and told afterwards that we're supposed to give it a dignified burial. And, uh, but we actually went with a spirit of faith. And that's, Come that's on, what, resurrection, that's what, baby! That's what I want to share with you today. Because here's the thing about faith. If you believe that there's a way, you'll find the way. If you don't believe there's a way, you're more than likely not going to find a way. And the thing is, is faith is always coming up against contradiction. It's the territory that faith is manifested in. You don't need faith if there's not contrary circumstances. You don't need faith if things are going against the grain. You don't need uh, you know, faith if things are, are bright, light, and shiny, and you're on the mountaintop, and it's all warm fuzzies. You actually need faith in the character of God and the promises of God when stuff needs to be shifted, all right? So the fact that there's stuff that needs to be shifted just means there's stuff that needs to be shifted. Now, now, 1 Corinthians 16.9, uh, Paul says this. He says, there is a great and effective door open to me, and there are many adversaries. All right? There's a great and effective door open to me. God wants to give every one of us revelation of a great and effective door that's open to you right now in your season. It's a great door. It's not small. It's God-sized. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's the nature of vision. It's an effective door. What does an effective door mean? It just like moves on its latches really well? Actually, the Greek there means energized. It gives us the English word for energy. And it's, see, the enemy wants to keep us from going through the door because if we go through the door, we'll be energized. We'll be strengthened. We'll be empowered. So the, the fact that there's opposition is actually a perverse Confirmation. You and I are talking about this, Jake. It's like the enemy not knowing any better, thinking he's going to stop you, but in actuality, he's confirming that you're actually moving in the right direction. But now, as we're waiting for strength to go through the door, God's waiting for us to go through the door because that's where we'll get our strength. Now, I want to say that again. Because we're so often waiting for the anointing to come upon us where God says the anointing is found in going through the door. Get your faith on. Get your, your decision moving in that direction. So we really work, Denise and I, in parting a spirit of faith 
in, you know, when you got 50 people remaining, the church went from like 150 to 50. If you got 50 people remaining, they're there for a reason. That's right. They actually believe in the prophetic words that were spoken over the church. They believe in the promises of God's word. They may be hurt, demoralized, confused, but they're there for a reason. So Denise and I sat down with them and we just said, okay, what's your hopes and dreams? What's your fears and anxieties? And let's put some faith to it. Here's the next step you can take. Before we realize it, it's not just Denise and I then trying to move them mountain. There's 50 other people exactly. trying to move the mountain with us. And so we get a often asked, well, how did this happen? Well, it happened because there's 50 people that were believing God and knew how to do it. All right. So the enemy doesn't want you to go through the door of service that's being provided for you. The enemy doesn't want you to take that next step of faith. The enemy doesn't want you to take that, that season of repentance and really get serious about it. But the Lord says, if you take that step, you're going to find the power, resurrection life. And that's how you get through the other side. All right. Come on, was that, are we drinking out of a fire hydrant up here? This is unbelievable. Are you preaching that on Easter? Pardon me? Are you preaching that over Easter? That's an Easter message an right Easter there. Message. My I God, preach Easter messages every weekend. <laughs> Incredible. What a, what a word. Two powerhouse words. Who, who's going to go number three? Numero tres. I got a microphone. So Come on. Hey, let's welcome all the way from Silicon Valley, Pastor Thanks, Adam Smolcom. Thank you so much. Hey, I uh, just wanted to quickly acknowledge uh, Pastor Jürgen and Leanne. Uh, you guys are so blessed. I got to tell you, I don't think you realize how, gr how great it is to have leaders like you have that you get to model after. And Kira and I are so blessed to be under your leadership in this great nation of the United States of America. Can you give it up for your pastors one more time? You know, I'm looking around and, and this is not a staff meeting. This is like a church. It's like... I'm kind of looking out, and, it's, and it, it kind of looks like my church. It's, it's full of young, passionate people who ridiculously love Jesus. I'm talking about you. That's what it looks like right now. And, and, and when I kind of think about leadership principles, uh, I'm going to bring it more into the leadership realm for a moment, if that's okay. Because we can give a lot of leadership principles, and we, we constantly give in our teams leadership principles, principles to live by. But what I found is that leadership principles can either build people or they can be very destructive, dependent on how you use them. How you, you could just take a principle and you could use it, and it can either be like a scalpel that will be like a surgeon's tool that will build people, repair people, and help them, or it can be like a sledgehammer that can literally destroy people because it's used in the wrong context. And one of the things I've discovered, spe specifically working with young people, is, is probably one of the hardest things to teach in leadership is this thing called leadership finesse. How do you teach leadership finesse? How do you shortcut years and years of experience in doing things wrong to learn how to do it right so that we don't have to burn through hundreds of people in order for them to discover how to implement the right leadership principle in the right way. And you, you, can, you can actually graft a lot of leadership from, from a relationship between Jesus and Peter. Because Peter's that, that example of a young leader that's wild, he's ready to go, he's passionate, he's, he loves Jesus, he wants to, he wants to rule the world, he wants to, he wants to take everything on, but, but he implements it always and often in the wrong way. It's the right principle, but in the wrong way. And there's a scene in Matthew chapter 17, I want to share this real quick, where, where Jesus is coming back into the town with the disciples and, and the Pharisees come to him, the religious leaders, the leaders of the temple come and say, they say to Peter, does Jesus pay taxes? 
Does Jesus pay the temple tax? Is he above the, the temple tax? And Peter, not really knowing the answer, he just kind of does what any young leader is like, yeah, but I'll check on that. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah. Of course, Pastor Jürgen pays the temple tax, you know. And then he goes back to Jesus and says, do we pay temple tax? And Jesus says, who, who, who's taxed? Is, is, is people who are conquered taxed or people that are, are free? And he's like, well, people who are conquered. And he's like, we're, we're free. But to not offend, let's pay the tax. To not offend. He was above it and he was right not to pay it. But to not offend, he, he chose to pay it. But then he does something amazing. He says, Peter, go down to the water, throw in a line. The first fish you catch will be a coin in the mouth. Take it out and pay the tax for both of us. And what's amazing is what Jesus demonstrates in that moment is, hey, we're above the law. In fact, I can call all heaven's power to create the provision to pay the tax so it doesn't offend. I, I can call, I'm above authority, I'm, I'm over that thing. But we don't need to use our, our rights and our principles we don't need to push that to prove. In fact, we can trust that God will, through humility and not wanting to offend, provide a way that we can, that we can implement these things. And I think leadership finesse is an art. Leadership finesse is a skill set of an experienced leader. Leadership finesse really demonstrates, I would think, emotional intelligence, how to discern. It's in the realm of discernment. It's not just this, well, I've got, a, I've got a key here, I've got a handle, I'm going to use it, and I'm going to use it in your life. But, but how do I see what that person needs in this moment? Not just pulling out one of my leadership principles, you know, everybody serves, for instance. Well, yeah, that's the truth, but in the wrong context, you might be doing more damage because you're not seeing the fact that someone's hurting. And so it's not creating offense. And this is what will take your leadership next level. This will take you to a greater leader knowing, am I using finesse right now? How have, how have I been, and reflect in your own leadership, how have I been in situations where my leader, where my campus pastor, where my, my senior pastors have, have dealt with me where I've been built up, not destroyed? Uh, that, I, I, call, I call my wife the velvet hammer. Uh, I've coined that phrase because, because when she preaches, it's so nice, but you feel like you got smacked. You know, you're like, you know, it's like, it's like a hammer with velvet on it because it's like, oh, that was kind of nice. Um, but it hurt at the same time. And I feel like that's what leadership needs to be. Leadership needs to be, it needs to have leadership principles that correct but with velvet on it so that you, that you keep the person, that you build up the person, good, that you encourage so good. the person. So good, so good. Oh my gosh. If we're a baseball team right now, that's three home runs. If I was the other team, I'd just walk off the park right now. Absolutely incredible. Now, is it Pastor Josh because you're going to go? All right, would you welcome C3 Brooklyn powerhouse couple, Josh and Georgie Kelsey. Josh Kelsey! Wow, thank you. So good to be here and uh, so good to see the sun. Um, I missed it all year. <laughs> but I had a great surf with Jürgen yesterday and I was like totally... Uh, totally insecure after the surf because your pastor absolutely rips. I, I could not believe it. He was just going vertical and just fins popping out. Unbelievable. And I can't even get out the back anymore because I lost all my paddle strength in New York. So. He was shredding. I'm telling you, he was shredding. He hasn't lost anything. But I, I love this church and just, you know, just sense the presence of God right from the first note. And just to be in an environment for me as a pastor, just to receive is just so awesome. So thank you for creating this atmosphere where 
we can be blessed and just receive. So thank you so much. Um, I want to speak about culture and vision. And I believe that these two things are, are critical. And the, the thing I want to speak about in between that is momentum. So momentum is uh, mass times velocity. But I believe that momentum starts, the beginning of momentum starts in your mind. So Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, no longer conforming to the patterns of this world. So, so the, the momentum that we need in our life begins by thinking differently. Wow. So, so if we, so if we let the Lord into our thoughts and let his word and his spirit transform us, we're going to see differently. So a lot of people have vision. Many people have uh, a vision statement in their home or in their business, but not everyone reaches that vision. So everyone, everyone's into vision statements. It's, it's important. But you need to be living with a personal culture that reaches the vision. So Jesus had a vision statement, but you don't see it spoken that often. But what you see him speaking about is culture every day and living that culture. But because he had the mind of Christ, because he is Christ, out of the overflow of his mind and his heart, his mouth would speak and then his actions would flow. So the disciples could see the culture that was required for the vision. And so momentum is mass times velocity. So, so we started with no one, no team in Brooklyn. We arrived Friday night, snowy evening, had some pizza. It was awesome. And then my brother and uh, brother-in-law and sister, who we were staying with, didn't have a home, five-month-old baby. They said, what are we doing? Uh, when, when's the church starting? We had no one, nowhere to live, et cetera, et cetera. Classic church planning story. And I said, we're going to start a dinner party this Wednesday. Because God had spoken to us, and we were not going to waste any moment to create momentum. Because it was, I already saw what it could be in my mind. It created momentum in my action. And so we just went for it. And that first Wednesday night, we word. had five people in our dinner party. But here's, here's the key. You ha in order to create momentum, you have to have consistency. So, so with the mass that you have, you need to be consistent with that mass. And that consistency creates velocity. So what we do in church life is we spend so much time trying to organize. So all the energy or the velocity that we need to move the mass is spent on gathering people. Wow. When people go to a football practice, they know when it's on. They know every day, this is what we're going to do. They know the drills that we're going to do. So no energy is spent on trying to gather the team. Wow. Everyone knows wow. where they're meant to be at what time. Wow. And then as the team moves, that massive team creates velocity. So good, and then that so brings good, so good. And the coach's job is to... At the beginning, at the beginning of a season, the coach's job is to renew that, that young boy or girl's mind to see the goal of where they're going. So that, so that the culture every day of that team is creating that momentum. And so you as a leader, whether it's your connect group or whatever level of leadership you're in, you need to transform the people's minds to see the culture so they can then reach the vision. You can say that we, you know, we, we hear all the time, you need to talk about the vision constantly. You do. Right. But you need to live and speak the culture double, double the amount of time as vision. So be consistent, be transformed. Momentum starts in your mind and move the mass of what you've got. If you've got two people, then move them consistently. Right. 
Don't waste time on, on, don't waste your energy on trying to organize them, getting together. Set a, set a date, Very set good. a time, get together, build momentum, and you'll see the vision come to pass. Come on, let's give that up. That's four out of flipping four home runs. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, listen, can I just encourage us, you know, uh, too often in, in this day and age with the resources that we have, I don't think we capitalize uh, enough. That So far, every message, and I know that Jakey's not going to disappoint, that these are things that we need to listen to again and again and again. That was one of the most powerful prophetic words on leadership. Oh, my gosh, how to build momentum. And their church is just exploding. Their dinner parties, their community they've created, incredible. One of my favorite people on the planet who has a phenomenal beard. Look at that. <laughs> it's an average beard at best. I walked in with my sunglasses. Jake's got this beard. I said, Jake, where did you get that beard? He says, the same way you got those glasses. I grew it. And uh, I was really, really impressed. I don't know what he means by oh, that anyway. And uh, just being silly. So, hey. Uh, Jake and Nicole literally moved to uh, Los Angeles. Is it three years now or is it not even that? Uh, I've lived in Los Angeles for nine years. Oh, the church then? The church we've been leading for one year. For one year, yeah. for one year. And I'm telling you what they've done up there in that short time is nothing short of remarkable. He's a great husband, a great daddy to young Winston, great leader, great son, just a really great guy and a bit of a coffee barista. A, a bit, bit of a, and so Jake, the floor is yours. Sure, awesome. Um, I think if I could talk to you guys about one thing, I would talk to you about the commitment to multiply. Uh, if leadership is defined as influence, then I would say that uh, our influence begins and ends at our willingness to be multipliers as leaders. Um, it's the number one responsibility that we have. The most important thing that you'll do um, in this life is not what you create, but who you build. And so we always have to be committed to uh, multiplying ourselves as leaders. And one of the passages in the Bible that speaks to me the most about um, the idea of multiplication is the parable of the talents. And uh, in the story, so you have the master that is going away on a journey, and he, he gives talents, um, which was a sum of money, um, to his three servants. One gets five, one gets four, and one gets one. And it's just a couple of principles, and I, I brought notes because I wanted to make sure I was concise, because um, I have the tendency to ramble. Uh, there's just a, a couple of things that I want to talk to you guys about uh, out of that. Number one, uh, God has entrusted something to all of us. Um, and what's really important for you to understand as a leader is that the something that you have uh, is a means, not an end. So what, what you have in your hand right now is, is not what you were designed to end up with. It's just what you've started with. I mean, we all know if we've ever put our hand to anything to accomplish anything in life, that God never gives us everything we need to accomplish what it is that we're aiming for. Um, so the first one got uh, five, uh, but the intention for him was not to have five, it was to have ten. The next one got two, but the intention was four, not two. And the last one got one. And I would say, by deductive reasoning, that the intention of the master was for him to end up with two, not one. So all of them got something, but uh, that was not the end of what they were going to have. It was, it was meant to be the means of what they were able to create. So there's always going to be that variance between what's in your hand and what you have in your heart that God has given to you. Um, number two, uh, what God gives us is according to our ability. Now, this is... Uh, has to be one of the most liberating um, revelations that God has given me um, because what he gives me, uh, what he entrusts me with is according to the ability that I've cultivated in my own life. 
And it says in the story that the master gave them the talents according to their abilities. Now, I think sometimes we take that parable and we, um, we interpret it as meaning that the, the talents represent um, abilities themselves, meaning that God has given us all gifts. But then I realized that doesn't actually really make sense because then it would be saying that he gave them abilities according to their abilities. That's not what it is. What the talent represents is responsibility, meaning it's the master's response to your pre-existing ability. So good. It's Come on, that's worth a clap right there. Come ability. on. So God will respond. God will respond to you um, with the abilities that you have cultivated. Now, this could maybe seem a little, um, I don't know, demoralizing at first because you think, well, I don't have very many abilities, so God's not going to ever give me responsibility. But come out of the umbrella of self-pity really quick and just think. Come on, come on. Ouch. Think about the fact that the ability you have, God has given you the power to multiply. He's given you the power to increase. He's given you the power to cultivate. So, so really it should be quite releasing, right? So I have an ability. Maybe it's an ability to speak or an ability to build team. Whatever it is, we all have God-given gifts and abilities in our lives, right? And so you actually have the power and an expectation from God to increase that ability so that as you increase it, God can respond to you with responsibility in your leadership. Number three, and I'll finish up in just a minute. Faithfulness is multiplication and nothing less. Listen to me. If you get nothing else from what I say, get this. The only biblical definition of being faithful is multiplying. And I think that sometimes we as leaders um, in the church context think that we're doing, we're doing God or our pastors a favor by babysitting what it is they've given to us. Sometimes we think we're doing them a solid by, by just merely looking after what's been entrusted to us to lead. But let me just say, God created the universe, so he doesn't need you to, to look after it. He is more than capable to look after it himself. He's, he's got it under control, right? So we have to come to the conclusion then that he didn't give it to you just to babysit. Pastors Jürgen and Leanne didn't entrust a department or an area of the church to you just to, to look after it. They gave it to you for one reason, and the one reason was to grow it and to multiply it. So, so the first one, the first servant gets five, they multiply it to ten. The second servant gets two, they multiply it to four. They get told, well done, good and faithful. The last servant gets one, and they don't multiply it at all. What do they do? They go and bury it in the ground. But when the master comes back, what does that servant do? He gives the master back the one. Now, was that one uh, devalued in any way? Did he lose it? Was it stolen? No, no, no. He gave it back to the master in the same form that was given to him. And yet he doesn't get told, well done, good and faithful. He gets called wicked and lazy. So, that means he was unfaithful as a servant, unfaithful as a leader. Why? Because he did not multiply what was given to him. Faithfulness is multiplication and nothing less. Biblical definition. Number four. Number four, take ownership. I knew you'd love that one. That was just for you, Pastor Jürgen. Number four, take ownership. Uh, at the end of the day, those of us who don't produce fruit in our lives are simply responsible for, uh, for not taking ownership of our lives. Um, you have to take ownership uh, of whatever you have and whatever form it's in uh, when you get it. Um, it says that 
the, the first two servants, when the master came back, that they took what the master gave to them. I took what was mine. But the, the third one says, I took what belonged to you. Yes. Meaning that the third servant never got the revelation that although ultimately everything belongs to the master, he still entrusted it to you for the time being. And so you have to take ownership over what has been given to you. Multiplication is one of the, in fact, I would say the most vital thing we can commit ourselves to as leaders. And it's the beginning and ending of growth. It's the beginning and ending of influence. It's the beginning and ending of prosperity in the church and in our lives. Come on, would you put your hands together? Five out of five. Come on, come on, come on. Amen. Uh, I just want to just very quickly pray for all those who are listening out there on podcast land. What I love about what we heard today is absolutely, I believe that the word of God comforts, but it doesn't comfort alone. I believe that the word of God absolutely will always comfort you, but it'll also confront. It'll also convict and it'll also challenge and that's what we heard today. And, uh, you know, what, what a great word to finish with, because I think it really summed up what everybody was saying. That, and it's amazing how many people will hate that word, Jake, not because there was any error in the word. The word was 100% pure in, uh, you know, in its ability to extract truth from that passage. But most Christians that have allowed a religious spirit to dominate their life, will live in the place where they believe they're doing their, their pastor, their church, even their God, uh, a service by simply babysitting what they were given. Look, here you have what is yours. And uh, no multiplication. Faithfulness is multiplication. Uh, man, thank you so much. There were five phenomenal words. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So come on, we're just going to pray. Let me pray for you and pray for those listening. Father, we just thank you right now for an anointing to increase, an anointing of multiplication, an anointing of finesse come upon people. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for multiplication that is prophetic, that keeps people from slipping into the gaps of who they were to retreat back into the past, but would rather would press on. The Apostle Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on the upward call of God to lay hold of that which has laid hold of me. We saw that in him he was choosing to forget the old to it step into the new he said to timothy wage the warfare according to the prophecies the prophetic words that have been released to you about your future father we thank you lord god even now that there is is a, a an effective door that is open and as we step through that door the energy comes the anointing comes father and those who are facing adversities right now those who are facing oppositions father let us just smile real big and thank the devil for, for letting us know that we are standing in front of the right door because it's difficult, it's challenging, and there are adversities in front of us. Help us to walk through the door, Father God, into that strength, into that breakthrough, into that anointing. I thank you for finesse as we're dealing with leaders, as we're dealing with people, that we have discernment, that we're not just regurgitating principles, but Father God, we're taking principles and we're looking at its application through the seasons of life that people are walking in. Father, and I thank you for the momentum word. 
Lord God, that first we will take your word in our minds, that it will transform our mind, that we will hear your word and we will respond. And we will take what you've placed in our hands, whether it's two people like Josh said, and we will begin to just, just move those people. We'll begin to be faithful with those people, energize those people so we can create momentum. Father, I thank you for five exceptional men of God. I pray for them, their spouses, their marriages, their families, their churches. Gather around them teams, Father God. Lord God, I know that uh, even the people who are listening today who are not in C3 that need to be in one of these churches because they are life-giving, life-empowering, people-building, city-changing, landscape radicalizing. Father, I thank you for them. Bless them in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you, podcast world. We love you. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 Church San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com. 